Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about writing for a human and robots. We can't ignore anyone. Uh, robots, humans, uh, ACO, any, anything. And I'm exci- so excited to discuss this topic with Maddie Osman. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great today, a sunny day. I'm so excited to learn a lot more because um, I'm a student in this life. Uh, I often get the question uh, why I need to have this podcast uh, and the main reason because I love learning. It's more about learning to get new insights. Uh, that's why when I speak with experts like you, I can get a lot of valuable insights because marketing exactly. is a quickly changing field. So uh, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience background and why you decided to take this topic. Sure, totally. So I'm Maddie Osman. I run a content agency called The Blogsmith and kind of the main thing that we do is SEO content. So things that appear on a company's blog, um, their website copy. We do some other online communications as well to complement those things. But I would say that like the SEO content is what we're best at, what we have the most process around um, and what we like to do the best and what we like to dig into. So uh, we work with B2B tech brands, a lot of web hosting companies, um, a lot of SaaS tools, Um, And, you know, other companies kind of at the fringes of tech and B2B and things like that. Um, And then kind of the most recent new, I guess, title to add to my resume is author because I wrote a book called Writing for Humans and Robots, The New Rules of Content Style, which is kind of the topic that we're digging into today. So I'm excited to share some of the things that I've learned about that and, um, you know, some of the insights that you can take into your own process. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. Uh, and, you know, I think for me, uh, writing a book is the next level. You know, I- I'm going to write books. I love it because I love read them. But uh, I'm not sure that I'm ready. I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, it's possible that we, you can't get this feeling uh, at any time. It's the process. But, you know, uh, I read a few books uh, about uh, writing books, you know, and uh, one of them was from Jack London, Martin Eden, that's good book, uh, that was written 100 years ago, but I got it, it's more about practice than uh, actually uh, uh, reading how to write, it's the same like to play uh, soccer, you know, you can read 100 books how to play soccer, but if you doesn't, if you don't play, you can't get any results, so yeah. Uh, Tell me why you decided to take this topic because I check out on your LinkedIn profile that you are SEO strategist. You can help to get SEO traffic. But why you decided to share with us about writing for a human and for robots? Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think that kind of what we were chatting about right before we went live, this this whole like GPT-3 tool thing coming out that I think a lot of writers are a little bit nervous about their jobs and all that. And um I think part of the reason why I wanted to write about this topic is somewhat to address that I don't think we're in a place yet where we really should be nervous about robots taking our writing jobs. And the reason why is because the robots, at least at this point, don't yet have empathy like humans do. They can't contribute that to the content that they're writing. And ultimately, I think it's empathy that helps us connect with our target audience and, um, 
you know, helps us to then convert our target audience to whatever conversion activity our marketing activities are trying to create. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess to some extent it's trying to make people not worry so much about advancements in technology and what that means for writing. I feel like even if tomorrow, you know, Google just ceases to exist, stops operating, whatever, um, SEO content writers, copywriters in general will always have a job, you know, because because of that empathy piece and because there are so many different mediums for content. And at the end of the day, even if we did have a tool that would generate it for us, we would still need somebody to check it over and to make refinements. And I think like mm -hmm. one other thing that robots can't do right now is they can't art direct. They can't do the formatting for you. So even if they could mm -hmm. generate all the text, it'd probably just be a block of you know words or whatever we still need people to to make it look nice to, to sort of merchandise it a bit mm -hmm. uh, let me share uh my story you know uh, i remember when uh, 10 years ago um, probably 12 years ago uh, ago when i started my digital marketing journey mm -hmm. uh, i opened an online shop and at that time i didn't care about human you know, I cared only about search engines. Uh, we wrote content for the sake of having it. That ranked well. Google gave a lot of traffic, but in some time we lost all this traffic. Uh, that was dropped in one day uh, after a few algorithms uh, and we got it. We need to change uh, our attitudes. And today, uh, after learning uh, a lot about that, I got it. User intent is very important. Can you tell about user's intent? Why we need to care about human? First and uh, uh, and how to optimize for search engines because we can't ignore uh, search engine as well. Right. Yeah. So I guess like adding on to the conversation of your last question. Um, so there's essentially two users that you're writing for. There's the human who can buy, and then there's the robot who like indexes that content so that the human, so that the right human finds it. And that's where search intent comes in. It is our efforts to to optimize our content and to index our content in such a way that the ideal target audience mm -hmm. finds it. And so I think a lot of times in the content writing world, when it comes to doing keyword research and then implementing it, one of the issues is trying to fit a, a round peg in a square hole where maybe you find a keyword and you're like, oh, you know, it has a high search volume and we know we can rank for it based on the keyword difficulty and, you know, the domain authority that we already have and stuff like that. Um, but if the keyword is not really representative of your target audience, like if it looks good, but it's not actually representative of them, then the problem is that you might get a lot of traffic, but you're not going to get people who actually want to buy what you're selling. And so that's, that's where we start to get into like the idea of vanity metrics, you know, like just, just the number of traffic and and kind of stopping there with measurement and and using that as a kind of success it's fundamentally flawed because what really counts is what they do after they get to your website you know does it does it create um a positive brand impression even if it doesn't lead to a conversion or maybe there's a micro conversion like they sign up for your email list or they get in touch for a demo or, or you know something like that and so the reason why search intent is so important is because it connects us to the right people if we are being thoughtful about how we do keyword research and and how we're showing up in those searches. 
Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. Uh, Mehdi, you know, uh, I like that you mentioned this metrics, uh, keyword difficulty, volume, uh, and, you know, um, I think uh, volume is the most dangerous metric that we have today because uh, it often misleads uh, the masters in the right uh, direction. You know, they uh, are looking for this metric. You can imagine, wow, I can get this traffic, a lot of traffic, but, you know, it's not the case. It doesn't mean that you can get uh, the same traffic that volume, you know, we have. Uh, Can you tell how to consider this metrics, especially you mentioned uh, Mm. about the metric keyword difficulty. Uh, I know HRFs shares this metric, SEMrush has it, uh, Ubersuggest, Moz, uh, m- many recognizable tools, they usually provide this metric. But you know, some marketers can tell me that uh, they don't consider this metric because it's estimation. It doesn't mean that you need to provide totally the same number of links because uh, Google considers many parameters and you can be much better in other strong sites. Can you tell more about how to learn about volume, uh, how to understand keyword yeah. difficulty and how to combine all of them considering cost click as well because uh, you can analyze what kind of traffic can you get because it will sell or not uh, provide more insights about this metrics yeah sure so a couple of things to think about um i think the most dangerous metrics to get caught up in are kind of what we already discussed one is search volume and, and letting that be the almost full determinant of what you go after as far as keywords because it's misleading if you don't factor in some of the other details Um, And the same thing with monthly search volume, just taken on its own. So I would say in general, any metric in isolation is dangerous because it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, As far as what you should think about when you're trying to make sense of all this, I think that it is a balance between monthly search and keyword difficulty to some extent. Um, With that being said, One thing that I tell a lot of our clients is if you find a keyword that we can rank for based on the difficulty, based on your domain rating, but it's a very low search volume, like let's say it's 20 or 30 a month or something like that. If we can own that search engine results page and and show up at the top when somebody searches that keyword, which we determine is something that your ideal target audience would use, then I think that's really worth going after, even if it doesn't have a high monthly search, because the use of the keyword, if we've determined it, um, basically qualifies that searcher as somebody who could be a customer. So again, it it comes down to like what you're targeting, um, who your audience is, their buyer's journey, you have to factor that in and you have to consider how keywords, what keywords tell you about where they're at in the buyer's journey. But I think that, again, if you find something that you know you can rank, but even though it's a low monthly search volume, then I'm always telling clients, like, you should go for that and don't let the monthly search deter you. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as other metrics from more of like the Google Analytics side of like testing, how are people interacting with your website? Again, I think it just comes down to not reading into any one metric in isolation monthly search, probably not the best metric on its own, but maybe, you know, returning visitors is something that you want to keep in mind because it's helping you understand if your content is building a relationship with people that they want to come back and get more answers from you. Um, Another thing is like bounce rate, you know, are a lot of people only viewing one page and then leaving? If so, that's a negative indicator of 
well, you're, you're not finding success with what you're wanting to do because if they're never clicking around to any other page on your website, then you're probably not achieving the conversions that you're going after. So, so yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is to just uh, balance it all and not, not think of any one in isolation without considering the ones that'll give you more detail. Love it, love it, yeah. And you know, you uh, in your replies you usually share more and more metrics with us. <laughs> you know, balance rate, many, many others. And you know, uh, it's interesting that in uh, GA four uh, Google Analytics four version, we have no bounce rate. We have only engagement rate because you know this metric can mislead as well. Uh, when, sure. for example, users open your website and can find everything that they need. Sure. So uh, it doesn't mean that they need to click to any other pages. They got a telephone number, anything, you know, yeah, just uh, leave website or uh, read the article, uh, sure. learn from that. So, yeah. <laughs> right. You need more details to be able to interpret what it means. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have the question about your main specialization, uh, SEO content strategies. You know, uh, for example, um, I often get clients who uh, are trying to get traffic for a few years and they um, can't get it uh, because in most cases they chase high volume. You know, they open uh, a list of keywords from SEMrush, Ahrefs, and when they have this list, they try to cover all topics, especially high volume topics. Can you tell how to create the right strategy today? For example, especially for a new website, if they want to jump in SEO field, uh, yeah. and uh, when websites have limited resources, I don't know, uh, let's imagine ten thousand dollars per month, uh, right. they can create a lot of content. Uh, they can uh, provide many link building campaigns, but uh, yeah, with limited resources, how to find the right strategy to go ahead? Sure. Yeah, it's it's hard to say without jumping into a specific use case. But in general, my approach would be to, first of all, define your audiences. You know, what are kind of you and you might have derivatives of a certain audience member. But what are kind of the main things that we can surmise about the people that you're trying to go after that carries over to? Yeah, like what other derivatives there might be. And so let's just say, for example, the average medium-sized business maybe has, I'm just making stuff up, but maybe they have like three audiences. And so, you know, that you have to create content for at least three different kinds of decision makers. And so then from there, you want to think about, well, what resources do they need throughout the buyer's journey, the top of the funnel, where they're just kind of, you know, aware that they have an issue and they maybe haven't decided how they're going to solve it yet. They just need more information. And then the middle of the funnel where um, maybe they have a couple ideas of who they might go with to solve a problem or what approach to take, whether it's a product service, maybe they're considering a mix of both. Um, and then finally, the bottom of the funnel where they do make that purchase decision with somebody or you know they make some decision to solve their problem and, and the journey ends there essentially. And so you want to be thinking about all the audiences you have to write for, these different stages in the buyer's journey. And I think to some extent, you also have to think about the different stakeholders on your team. You have your like marketing folks who might be sending nurture emails or, you know, blogs, putting them on the website to educate people, knowledge based stuff, whatever. But then you also have your salespeople who are kind of that first line of defense or whatever with potential clients who aren't clients yet, but who may be soon. And so you have to think about like, what do each of these 
types of people need in order to effectively do their jobs. And so then you start mapping out, okay, so we have these audiences, we have these stages of the buyer's journey, we have these assets that we need. And in what we're talking about, it goes beyond SEO content strategy. That's a piece of the puzzle. I think that it's important for people creating an SEO strategy to be thinking about sales in the back of their head and you know how how you can basically help people to self-service find their own answers so that they don't have to go through a salesperson and then you know by the time they do talk to a salesperson they're pretty sure of what they want you know they've they've kind of answered whatever questions they need to answer from like a technical standpoint and maybe they're just trying to narrow in on if this is you know the best of the available solutions and that's where a salesperson helps them but um yeah, that's kind of where I would start. And then from there, I think once you map it out, then you start to think about a content calendar where you're actually then, you know, setting deadlines, you're doing the research, the keyword research, you're assigning it out to people on your team, and you know, what's coming so that even if you know, you're lacking a resource that you need, you can say, well, it's coming, you know, at this date or whatever. We have it, we have it slotted in the calendar. So I'm aware that we don't have it and that's an issue, but we have a plan to address it. Mm -hmm. Valuable. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, okay, Maria. Uh, I have the question about uh, buying journey. Uh, uh, can you tell how to find this balance between uh, top funnel and bottom funnel? Uh, because mm. in uh, in most cases, businesses want to cover uh bottom you know <laughs> they right, want right. to sell but we need to provide content marketing campaigns to get uh, info traffic you know because most customers don't buy from unrecognizable brand so it helps a lot right. uh, uh, yeah can you tell from your experience uh, the ratio of course it depends i know some companies that can earn uh, 100 million dollars you know without any content marketing campaigns they just sell they have strong brand recognition but uh, for a new business uh, i remember right. when seth godin shares that content marketing is one marketing left you know so i think it's more important for almost all businesses uh right. to create content marketing campaigns how to find this balance between bottom and top funnel yeah no it's a great question it's it's a difficult one to answer because again i think it comes down to like what's the need you know what's the immediate need and that's kind of where you have to start with where you put your resources I would say it almost feels like bottom of the funnel is the most important because it's going to be the most impactful on that final like conversion activity or that final stage of the journey and you know how effectively you get people to choose you over the competition or another type of solution. So I think that's where you start. I think that you really want to start with bottom of the funnel, especially if you have limited resources, and then you kind of work your way back up to the top because all that stuff is still very impactful and it's important. And you'll probably find that the top of the funnel stuff is what's going to have a higher monthly search volume. It is going to be the stuff that gets better engagement because you're, you're kind of capturing that wider net of people who may or may not be a fit for your final services. Um, but I, I think in practice, in terms of, you know, putting it into your content, your editorial calendar or whatever, I think as a best practice, you're not doing the same thing, you know, two top of the funnel pieces right next to each other. You're kind of cycling through, you know, this week it's bottom of the funnel and next week it's middle next week after that it's top. So I think it's just like, don't focus on one and neglect the others and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love it. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, your live tools. Can you share a list of tools that can help you to create the right content strategy? Sure, sure. So as far as things like keyword research and um, also content structure, because that's kind of the application of the keyword research, we use Ahrefs. That's kind of like our all-in-one tool for keyword research mostly, but we use it for other things like their technical audit tool is nice. And, and now that they've made it so that you can connect any Google Search Console and I think Google Analytics but definitely Google search console that you have access mm -hmm. to without like adding any cost to your plan. Um, that was, that was such a great thing that that happened with that tool. Um, so we use that kind of at the front end of the process. And then essentially once we come up with our main primary keyword, we then feed that keyword from Ahrefs into a tool called ClearScope. And so ClearScope for those who are not familiar is a content optimization tool we use that more, I would say, in the back end of our process. So like as we're drafting, but also like as we're editing more so than when we're creating like an outline, for example, because that is another really important part of our process. It helps us to conceptualize a topic, start to put the structure together. But what's most important, I would say, for our clients is it helps us get on the same page and it gives them the opportunity to review the direction that we're going before we, you know, put the finalizing touches on the draft. Another tool that we use more on the front end, more for the outline stage is called Phrase. And Phrase is very similar to ClearScope. They have minor differences. I would say Phrase is really better for that briefing where it's pulling in a lot of research. It's calling attention to popular stats that get linked in articles. It's, you know, giving those sort of front end details to make the structure. Whereas for us, again, ClearScope is really at the end of the process. It's kind of just like dotting our T's or dotting our I's and crossing our T's and all that. Um, more so than helping us to do that initial brief. We use some other tools mixed in. Market Muse is one. Um, they have a slightly different approach to how they suggest keywords than a tool like Ahrefs or Phrase or ClearScope. They use some NLP technology that's kind of interesting. And I will say, like, I I use the AppSumo marketplace, which for those who are unfamiliar is um, basically a marketplace of lifetime deals for software tools for entrepreneurs. And almost anytime there's an SEO tool, I'll pick up a license just to play with it. And I think that when it comes to being effective with SEO, like you want to find the tool that does most of the things that you want it to do, like Ahrefs, SEMrush is another excellent choice, depending on what you do, depending on how, how you research things. Um, but it's also useful to have those kind of fringe tools, like the ones that I find on AppSumo that they focus on something very specific. Like another one I can think of recently is called it's called like QPOP or QA pop or something like that. And what that one does is it goes through core answers and finds um, topics of interest to some extent, keywords and language to use. And so again, it's, it's a niche tool, but it adds some interest and, you know, for certain clients, it, it might be an extra benefit to them. Like if, if they want to be targeting core answers and, you know, come up with some copy to put in there to advertise a piece of content we're creating for them. So 
so yeah, I think like my best advice here is to just play around and figure out like yeah. what, what is easiest for you to use. N nicely, nicely, love it. Yeah, uh, market news. I know this tool. Uh, Jeff Coyle spoke on my podcast. Yeah, nice. I know it's an amazing tool. By the way, let's talk about AI tools because we mm -hmm. uh, before the podcast we uh, discuss a little bit about AI tools. Sure. And uh, let's share with our audience as well. Uh, what do you think about AI tools? They're ready to replace humans, or how they can help if they are not ready? Yeah, not ready yet. I don't think anybody's job is at risk at this point, especially like a really good writer. They cannot replace a really good writer. They could probably replace a pretty bad writer, but <laughs> that's not what we're concerned with. So um, I think that the place that they have, like what I would say is like the ideal use case right now is an AI tool can help you come up with like a very basic content outline. It can give you ideas. You probably shouldn't leave it at that. You want to be adding on to it because, you know, the thing about AI tools is they're basically regurgitating any information they could find. It's not original and you still need to have original aspects of your content, whether that's an interview with the subject matter expert, a unique take on the subject, you know, extra research you've done, whatever. But it can help with the outlining stage. I think another really great use case of AI tools is it can also help with the title generation stage. Again, it is it is kind of a list or, you know, an, an output that you can look at, but you still need to add that human empathy aspect. You still need to edit after you get the output. And then something that I talk about in my book specifically is taking whatever headline ideas you have and you can, you can use the bot and then you can add your human empathy and then you can use another kind of robotic apparatus, whatever you want to call it, which is headline analyzer tools. So like post schedule has one share through has another really excellent one. And then there's another one called the emotional value something headline analyzer tool and all of them just give you some inputs about how effectively you're using words things to consider to make it more impactful more emotional more um, interesting and again so then you put in your kind of final human polish so i think that ai tools can be great for kickstarting our brains and helping with ideation i do not believe that they are the final step at this point yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I use them, uh, but I spend some time to edit and uh, I measured my uh, speed. If I write myself, I can spend like a, uh, uh, around four hours. I need to write a thousand words, you know, uh, yeah. but it depends on the topic, of course, uh, on many factors. If I know exactly what I want to write, then yeah, uh, four hours for a uh, thousand words. But with the tool, I can write like uh, 10,000 words, you know, just to edit, uh, to provide some, uh, sure. yeah, uh, manual checking. But, uh, you know, I think if you write for some, uh, big publication, you don't need to use them. <laughs> they can't help, but for some content that's good. You know, if you have no time, uh, if you, mm -hmm. uh, believe that competition is not huge, you know, yeah, why not? That's yeah. I mean, know. I can think of using AI tools being good for maybe just again, depending on how useful the output is, but talking about like a how to process for, let's just say how to upload something to WordPress or whatever. Like that's something that taking the first step with an AI tool 
could probably really help your process. But I think to your point, you'd still want to edit it. You know, it's, you just, you have to recognize it for, for where it's useful, but you also have to recognize it for its limitations. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I tools can help to create the structure, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's time consuming as well, but when AI tool can provide the structure H1, H2, uh, with subheadings, wow. You know, it, it's time saving a lot of time saving. Okay. okay. Uh, you mentioned a few times about keyword research. Can you tell about another aspect, uh, grouping a list of keywords, how to do it? Because, you know, when we have, uh, um, if I type on Ahrefs uh, weight loss, I can get a lot of ideas, Way, uh, weight loss supplements, weight loss reviews, m- m- yeah. many keywords, a huge list. How to group them? Yeah, sure. I think if you want to use a tool, one that seems to have a really excellent sort of um, content clustering capability is surfer their content optimization functionality um is really interesting for that suggesting kind of like a pillar page and then related topics that you would cover within one page for each topic so that's one way to sort of automate it um what we do at the blogsmith is really taking pieces from all the tools that i've mentioned hrefs clear scope market muse um and phrase and what we do is we kind of package it up for the writer like these are things that our tools are saying should be headings these are things that our tools are saying should be body copy you know here's some words to weave in where you can because in the top ranking articles you know that's what the data is showing us so that's part of the process I think another thing that's interesting and useful, especially for people who maybe don't have HRF's access, maybe, you know, they don't want to pay the hundred plus dollars a month because they're not creating that much content and it just doesn't make sense. One thing that I always tell people is to use Google search data. So taking whatever your idea of the primary keyword is, whether you found it through HRF's or you're just kind of guessing, typing it in, seeing what auto suggests tells you about that keyword and kind of the related topics, you know, then hitting enter, looking at the search engine results page, looking at the people also ask suggestions, because these are questions that people actually have that you should try to answer in your content. They can also be really excellent featured snippet opportunities. Again, you kind of want to, you kind of want to confirm that if you can, if you have access to a tool like Ahrefs, but you could also take those questions and search them in Google search to see if a featured snippet comes up. So then you know that it definitely is a featured snippet. Um, And then finally, at the end of Google search, looking at the related searches, I think it's, is it searches related to now? I always mess it up because it's like almost the same thing. But (laughs) the thing that's on the bottom that is kind of like the autocomplete suggestions, the main difference being that the searches related to, or whatever it's called, um, are using different terminology. So the autocomplete kind of uses that same long tail keyword and adds onto it, whereas the related searches are using different terminology, similar subjects. And so I think all of this data from Google, what it tells you is a basic structure for your article. It doesn't tell you the keyword difficulty. It doesn't tell you monthly search volume. But um, we we do that as part of our process, in addition to Ahrefs, Phrase, ClearScope, MarketMuse, um, because we want to see what what people are actually searching and what comes up. So I think that's 
that's one way to do that research in a way that's effective. And maybe it doesn't have all the metrics associated with it, but there are a lot of insights that can be gained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about uh, another aspect. Uh, it's called pillar pages. You know, for example, when I check out post, I can see uh, some pillar pages about uh, SEO, uh, SEO for beginners, uh, technical SEO, my, my, many topics. Can you tell how is important to uh, consider in your uh, content strategy uh, pillar pages or hubs, uh, whatever uh, someone called them? Uh, yeah. How how is important about that? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely important. I think that it makes the most sense to worry about that or to think about it when you have a body of content. It, I mean, it also makes sense if you're planning out your content strategy for sure. But it's it's not something you can really put together until you have things published. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And mm -hmm. so we've been we've been starting to do more of those for clients lately. Um, I will say an example I can think of that was impactful for me was by Another content agency that I'm familiar with that's also, um, well, they're they're targeting a more like technical audience, I would say, but it's called Draft Dev. And they made a pillar page recently and it was like 101 content marketing resources. You know, it, it related to the body of work that they had already published. And, you know, it was like questions that clients have about their process. Thinking, thinking back to kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this, which is like, you need those like knowledge base and those like sales pieces. You want to like help people self-serve themselves, the answer to whatever question, whatever questions come up frequently from prospects and even from um, existing clients. But um, it was, you know, essentially a page of links to all this content they've created and as a benefit, I think it positions them as experts to whoever is coming to their website because it's showing like we've already covered all this, you know, like this isn't this, this isn't a second, um, what's the word I'm looking for, thought. Um, it's something that they've already put a lot of thought into. And so creating the pillar page was a matter of just putting it all together in categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the hardest part of SEO, link building. Can you tell? What, how to choose the right strategy? Because we have a bunch of link building techniques, white hat SEO, black hat SEO. Uh, I don't recommend black hat SEO. I know someone can get high results with that. Uh, it's sure. up to them. But uh, about white hat SEO, can you tell uh, how to choose the right strategy? Because so many techniques, uh, guest posting is the most popular, but I'm not sure uh, it will provide high results. Uh, Probably someone can get high results with that if they uh, write awesome uh, guest posts. So mm -hmm. your loving techniques. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I can share some things that have worked for us and maybe some things to think about with looking for like a link builder provider. Um, things that have worked really well for us is being subscribed to Haro, help a reporter out and looking mm -hmm. for relevant queries um, there's some agencies that will do this for you. Um, I don't I don't know if I agree with how helpful that is for the cost. So if you can create some sort of internal process and like a point person who can be on this every day looking for opportunities and then responding in a way that's on brand and that makes people want to pick your response. I guess for people who don't know what Haro is, it's called Help a Reporter Out. It's a thrice daily email that gets sent out and it's categorized by like business, technology, you know, lifestyle, whatever. And so you can kind of look and see what other journalists are looking for in terms of sources and, and inputs. 
And um, it can be hit or miss. And, uh, you know, there's certainly times where I've put together a really thoughtful answer that didn't get used. And that's just kind of part of, I think that's link building in general, though. I mean, that's not really unique to Haro. So that's one thing that's worked really well. I think you mentioned guest posts too. I think that's something that is effective. It's a lot of work, obviously, because you have to create that relationship with the place that you're going to be posting on. Um, you have to create the content too, which, you know, costs time and money. And um, you want it to obviously be very good content because if it's not, then it's not really benefiting you from like the sales perspective, even if it is benefiting you from the link building perspective. So it's just complicated. Um, I think other things to think about are things like creating useful linkable assets within the content you're creating. So like an infographic, you know, that's, that's one thing that makes it easier for people to be like, I'm going to link to this resource over the one that doesn't have that, or I'm going to, you know, grab this infographic and have a source, a link back to the original source. So those are things to think about that. I think some are low lift, some are not so low lift. Um, another thing that you could consider is whenever you're creating content, reaching out to the people that you've quoted, you know, whether they've, what are, whether they've given you an exclusive interview or not, you could still say, I featured you in this or, um, you know, a news outlet, you could say we featured your, you know, your content here as a source or something, and they might link back to it. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to go about it. You just have to kind of figure out what what do you enjoy, what gets results. You have to kind of try a bunch of things, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, focusing is the most uh, important thing in uh, link building because when you uh, cover all uh, link building techniques, it's hard to be successful. By the way, I know some people who can uh, earn million dollars uh, just to uh, provide Hara service, you know, help mm. reporters out, you know. Yeah, yeah. and they earn it's a million dollars, you know. Yeah, just to provide one link building technique. Yeah, it works well. Uh, it's it's hard to compete with them because uh, you know for me uh, to find this time three times a day uh, to be exactly on this time it's it's really hard. That's why agencies can provide much better results, even branding cooperate with some of them. So because we understand, you know, uh, uh, for me time is the biggest asset ever. You know, <laughs> so to be there uh, three times a day and spend uh, a few hours to reply to this question right. it's really hard yeah. but you know it's life it's digital marketing <laughs> I have, yeah i have the question about uh, the future of seo what kind of future can you predict because we, uh, many things are coming like uh, metaverse many others uh, because you know we still get this question seo is that or not uh, but uh, i can see that it's growing and can you predict this future because someone wanna jump on this field uh, probably to earn money in some day to be an expert like you uh, lead them in the right direction do they need to learn SEO or not <laughs> it's a hard question to answer i mean i remember the news item a while back where it was like google took out the clause and their mission statement about like do no evil or something so that's like no longer part of their <laughs> the way they operate mm -hmm. they they believe they can do evil now i guess and so <laughs> i think we have to keep that in mind when it comes to like the future of our jobs and in the SEO field as a whole. I think that those who have predicted zero click search is only going to get bigger are correct because 
things change on the search engine results page on a daily basis. We have the featured snippets that, you know, effectively summarize perhaps the full answer of what somebody's looking for. We have all these different, the knowledge graph stuff, um, you know, how they display news or images or whatever. There's a lot of ways that you can lose that click within search already. And I think that's something to be a little bit nervous about for sure. I do think that Google's assertion that great content rules all, I think that that is the truth. I think that as long as your intent is to help a reader provide a great reader experience, solve the question that they're asking by typing in a specific search, by doing your research to understand, you know, like what what questions they have related to that, what what exactly they're trying to figure out. I think if, if you keep that in mind and you create content with that in mind, I think that that's still the best way to do things, really regardless of how you're optimizing it for SEO, because... SEO isn't the only way that content gets discovered. So if you have truly great content and it takes off over email, on social, just between friends, whatever, it's still going to perform, you know? And so I think that for whatever people are worried about with the future of SEO, I think you just have to keep in the back of your mind that doing good work with the audience in mind and and helping them, I don't think that that's ever going to go out of style. So that's, mm-hmm. that's how I choose to move forward, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, for me, it's hard to predict any future. I know about that when uh, I trade in or invest in, <laughs> you know, I uh, I always fail, you know, many times uh, I, I can lose money with that. Uh, but <laughs> I know when we have uh, specialists like Maddie, you know, the future of SEO is shiny. You know, you can get <laughs> a result with that. So a big go. pleasure, Maddie, to learn from you, to, uh, to get all this insights, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Sure. Yeah. No, thanks again for having me. Definitely a fun and interesting conversation. It's always good to hear, you know, how how other people are percepting, I guess, what's going on in SEO. So Um, As far as where people can learn more, uh, definitely, if you liked what we talked about today, check out my book. It's on Amazon and it'll be fully available on July 18th, but you can pre-order for Kindle right now. Um, Writing for Humans and Robots, The New Rules of Content Style is the title. Otherwise, you can visit our, uh, the Blogsmiths website, learn a little bit more about what we do there with content specifically. So that's just theblogsmith.com. And then um, for any questions after the fact or just to chat shop, um, I'm most active on Twitter. It's at Maddie Osman. So yeah, looking forward to continuing the conversation for anybody who wants to. You know, I, I like the cover of your book, you know, amazing. You know, I, I, I think you found the best designer who can create such cover, you know. So long to get there, so I really appreciate that feedback. Yeah, impressive, impressive. Okay, guys, you can find uh, the link to this book in the description below and uh, all other links, social media profiles, connect with, with Maddy, learn from her, uh, follow her, you know, because you can get a lot of valuable insights that we did it today. Thanks, Mikey, again for uh, sharing with us. You know, it's a big pleasure. Welcome back anytime. <laughs> and uh, guys, listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. 
Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.